Coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fourth Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. I love heading into the weekend with some good news. And the good news we have for those of us in Metro Atlanta on the left is we now have someone who's entered the House District 56 race who is not a Republican. That would be a fellow by the name of Bryce Berry, who joins me. Bryce, how are you, buddy? Doing good. Thanks for having me on, Ron. Appreciate that. And, and by the way, let's uh, let's also give some credit where it's due. We, we love to uh, lavish praise on folks who are in the military, but I like to lavish praise on people who jump into the good fight. And I mean educating our kids, middle school math mm-hmm. teacher. I mean, can you think of a tougher gig than a, a middle school teacher and a middle school math, maybe maybe a middle school lit teacher would be tough too. That's not an easy subject to teach. But anyway, you're in there fighting the good fight, getting those kids educated, and I appreciate that. Thank you. I appreciate it. It is, it is it's a joy and uh, bundle of stories every single day, but it's fun. I'm enjoying what I do. Do you have kids of your own by chance? I do not, no. And see, that uh, that's another reason right there. You're like, after you get home, day full of kids, you don't want no kids, maybe. Anyway, uh, thanks for joining us. Tell us why you decided to jump into the race for the House District 56 in the Georgia House of Representatives. Yeah, so it it, it was a simple um, thing for me. Now, I look at the lack of principles, the lack of leadership, and the lack of foresight that the current incumbent had. And I look at my background coming from a union household. Mm. Um, my mom was a union educator. My dad was a union postal worker. Um, I, still to me was the values of integrity, the values of hard work, and the values of you stand on what you stand for, and you stand for others, even when you know others might be against you. You stand for others because we all are deserving of some level of respect as children of God. And I'm jumping this race because I fundamentally saw a void in leadership from whatever station that the district is currently getting. And I'm stepping up because I believe that I have that unique background experience to fill that void and to bring true representation to the district, um, true progressive representation, principled rep- representation, um, uh, representation based on integrity uh, and hard work and experience and values that unite us, which is we need to do better by the people of the state. My whole the reason I'm starting, uh, you know, my whole life's work is based off the book of Micah, chapter 6, verse 8, which is, what does God require of you but to do justice? That means, you know, making sure we have good paying jobs and better health care for every single person. And we're housing our citizens and we have safe communities that are free from gun violence. We actually deal with the issue of gun violence in the state of Georgia. It is exasperating um, to see every single day. It, how folks are gunned down in the streets and it's preventable. Um, that's doing justice by people, doing right by folks, making sure we have policies and leaders that are doing right by the people of this district and the people of the state. And that's why I want us to run. You obviously were shaped by your parents' occupational choices. Your mother was a teacher. Mm-hmm. You are a teacher. Your father was a postal worker, a unionized postal worker. And mm-hmm. you, uh, you as well now are a what we, I guess you would term a, a public servant uh, working in, in mm-hmm. schools yourself. Uh, and also understanding that while I think in your lifetime from, from your parents uh, earning their living to yours, the stigma of being a public servant, being on the taxpayer dole, 
uh, has has actually come with some negative connotations in mm-hmm. in that generational jump. Um, why do you think that is, and how can we sort of course correct society in seeing you know the the benefit of those who are public servants? Well, my grandmother always told me that there's no greater thing that you can do than to serve others. You know, service to your fellow man and fellow community member is the basis of what how we should be living. We should be here for each other. Um, you know, we talk about divisiveness all the time. We can heal the divisiveness in our politics and in our country by just being good to each other, mm. just doing right by each other. Again, it's the whole precipice of where I'm running, to do right by folks, to do right by Georgians, to do right by the people of this district. We can do right by others. Service has to be the basis of who we are and what we do. It's the greatest act of mankind to serve others. And I think the negative connotations, folks, we, we have got to learn how to be disagreeable agreeably. Mm. You know, we can disagree on several things. Um, issues of the economy, of course, issues of how best to do healthcare. There's some things we cannot disagree on, such as human rights and uh, social justice. We cannot absolutely disagree on that. If you don't agree with the values of civil rights, then no, that's something that we cannot have a disagreement on. Mm-hmm. But you know, we can disagree on like tax policy. We can disagree on what's the best approach for affordable housing. We got to be able to do it in a way that we all remember why we're there. We're there to serve the people of our district and the people of the state. We're there to do better by those folks. Well, and, and speaking of that, you you graduated from Morehouse, go Tigers, with a uh, degree in economics. Uh, I did. So, I don't know why you decided to become a school teacher with a degree like that, but uh, good, good on you for doing it. Again, I'm praising you. Uh, <laughs> but thank you. So, w- w- what it, what is it that the American way has missed out on when it comes to serving districts like HD fifty six? I think. You know, the issue is right now you have folks in power that, are, that don't have the foresight and have never experienced what people that this district have experienced. Mm. My district has right now some of the highest poverty rates in the, in the state. Right. With some food insecurity, you know, and it's not in the wider parts, it's in the blacker parts, let's be mm-hmm. honest. We, mm-hmm. we have to get folks to understand that we all live different experiences, we all live different walks of life. And when folks don't have the foresight to see if they're living in their bubble, um, that prevents them from seeing how folks are out there really suffering right now. They haven't been able to legislate. If you grew up with a silver spoon in your mouth, you know, your parents worked hard and they made good money and never really won for much, you aren't going to understand the concerns and the worries of folks that can't pay the electricity bill, folks that don't have a good school system right now. Because you never experienced that. Yeah. But I have. You know, I have been in one of those school districts that were labeled failing. You know, I have experienced wage insecurity and food insecurity and things like that. And that is the best, the best experience that I bring and the knowledge I bring. And I hope to expand to my colleagues to help them understand the real life situations that our folks go through. We can't live in this high castle and forget that folks are really struggling out here. And we have got to serve them and be mindful of their backgrounds and their experiences and apply that to our leadership. It's one thing to say that, but it's another to, to, to actually cut through yeah. the rhetoric and, and to cut through that dissonance, isn't it? I 
I feel we can find a lot of common ground, a lot of things, such as affordable housing. We actually passed, you know, I was a um, this last cycle and last legislative, legislative cycle, we actually passed a bipartisan affordable housing bill. Now, was it everything we wanted? Obviously not, but we were able to find consensus and to bring folks, Republicans and Democrats together to say, we've got to do take on these slumlords that are mm-hmm. taking advantage of renters. You know, we've got to make rent more affordable in the state of Georgia. Yeah. And again, it was a piecemeal thing, and we accepted it, but it was good, and it moved the needle forward, and it showed that productive conversations can happen if we just put out the blinders and see each other as people that are trying to serve, trying to do good, rather people that are trying to just impose their will. That's not that. We're here to do good. We're here to do better by the people of our districts and by people of the state. That's why I'm running. We're on the phone with Bryce Berry, who announced his candidacy for the Georgia House District 56 seat, currently occupied by Misha Maynor, who uh, we all know switched parties uh, midstream uh, mm-hmm. cycle. Uh, I want to ask you a question, and I, and I think I think her switch from the Democratic Party to the Republican Party uh, kind of dovetails with this a little bit. And I'm starting to see, we saw it in the New York Times-Siena college polling that, that came out last week, that there seems to be a little bit of degradation with the African-American vote, in particular African-American men and their affectation to the Democratic Party. Um, mm-hmm. You're running as a Democrat, but you're also an African-American male. So talk to me about what the party has done that works for the African-American community and how they can improve upon uh, the mood that seems to be growing that they're not doing enough. Yeah, I mean, yes. And, and by the way, let's let's point this out, by the way. You have been a president of the Georgia Young Democrats, so I, I know that you're, 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 you're tied into the party and you know, you know the rhetoric, you know the story, but you also live, uh, you've walked the walk as an African-American man. Uh, so, so I think you can give us an honest answer here. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I will be honest. We, as a black male, sometimes it feels like our policies, our concerns are left behind yeah. um, and not heard of, not heard about, not taken care of slightly. But I'm not going to like sugarcoat it. Black women have it much worse than black men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You think black men don't have the issues here. Think about black women. Mm-hmm. We need to face music. You know, there is a gap of folks that feel like they are not being heard by this party. I'm a Democrat. I'm a very proud Democrat. But I'm not afraid to say we, we do miss some marks. And that's okay. It was not okay because we can get better. We got to get better. Um, you know, we have made tremendous strides. I think this administration, the Congressional Democrats, and state Democrats have moved our state forward on terms of health care by lowering the cost of health care premiums. Um, we are on the path to loan forgiveness. I don't think we're there yet, but I hope we're on the path to loan forgiveness. Um, the largest investment into HBCUs and so much so much more that we have to run on and we have to win on. But there's more that needs to be done. You know, I'm still, you know, upset that we didn't get a voting rights bill. Mm. We have got to, you know, protect the right to vote here in the South because it's under attack. It really is under attack. Um, you know, we've got to raise minimum wage. Georgia actually has the lowest minimum wage in the country. We're below the federal level. Right. And so we have to raise minimum wage and actually provide job opportunities that are meant to grow the economy, mm. not just meant to sustain you. I think a lot of the we talk about jobs are often they think a job is meant to just help you pay rent. Yes, but a job is you're supposed to grow with the job. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to be able to grow, get promoted, and have a family and be able to support that family with a job. We got to stop 
think about we have to expand our breadth of what job creation is and what job sustainment is. Um, and yes, we need to do more with health. We have got to do more with healthcare because folks, Georgia says highest one of the highest uninsured rates as well. In fact, I think it was 19.2 percent of our residents are uninsured. So we, I think, the Democratic Party have a lot to say to black males. You know, they have made tremendous, tremendous strides and moved it forward in a significant way, society forward in a significant way. But we also have to acknowledge and face the music that we've missed the mark. And we need leaders that are willing to say that. You know, as you said, we can't just go around it. You know, we need folks that are willing to say, we messed up. And we need to keep pushing forward and get leaders elected who are willing to say we messed up and we're here to correct the issue. Our guest to start the show is Bryce Berry, a middle school math teacher who is running for House District 50 seat in the Georgia General Assembly to take on Misha Maynard, who switched parties we know last year. More of that conversation with Bryce when the Ron Show returns on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Happy weekend, and welcome back to the Ron Show. We're on the phone with Bryce Berry, who is running for House District 56, the seat currently held by Misha Maynard, who, again, we recall, switched parties here recently and decided that she wanted to become a Republican. Uh, in a prior uh, statement, we talked about uh, HBCU funding and, uh, you know, how much more has been gotten. But, you know, in recent months, we've learned that Georgia is one of several states that underfunded HBCUs. Mm-hmm. You attended an HBCU. How, if elected, do you plan to hold the state accountable for making that right? Well, I'm so excited to be able to hopefully soon join Senator Halpern's HBC caucus. Um, I just want to give a shout out to Senator Halpern, who has made a tremendous deal of work working with the governor and so many other officials to bring the right knowledge and investment to our district, uh, not to the district, but to our HBCUs in the state. Um, and I, I want to be partnered with her on that. You know, I will be one of the loudest vocal amplifiers of our HBCUs in the state house. I mean, I'm biased. You know, I went to HBCU. I, believe, I see the values, and I believe when we make our HBCUs strong, we make our society stronger. And so we, I would support things like a commission to determine where the inequities are, and then in the next budget, we deal with those issues. Um, you know, we have money there. Mm-hmm. We have a significant surplus. Yeah, sixteen There's billion. <laughs> sixteen billion dollars surplus, actually. Sixteen yeah. billion. There's not a single reason that we shouldn't be dealing with um, fully from our HBCUs. And you know, I appreciate Senator Halpern for raising this issue, and I look forward to going down the trail as well and amplifying this and being in the state house and amplifying this. We've got to do more for HBCUs. Um, it's less. What's more than just funding them, you know. Hmm. They need to be research hubs, you know, stop awarding contracts to PWIs and let's start spreading the wealth of the contracts that we get for research and STEM research and, and literary research and so much more to HBCUs and African-American students and minority-serving institutions. Let's start spreading the wealth of contracts. Let's start making sure that the HBCUs have the infrastructure they need. You know, a lot of our HBCUs have been renovated in a while. We have money there so that we can renovate our HBCUs and make sure that they remains state-of-the-art institutions. And so there's so much more I can get into. Uh, I, nerd out about, I nerd out about HBC policy, um, but I will be a partner with Senator Halpern in, when, I be, when I am elected, and promise you I'll be a, the most vocal opponent, most opponent of HBCUs. 
So I wanted to spend most of the time we were talking today to talk about your background and your your policy positions and uh, your outlook for the future uh, if elected to office. But I, mm-hmm. I would like to take you back to that point when the representative in your district decided to change parties. What was your initial reaction? I wasn't surprised. <laughs> I was not surprised. Um, you see, acting like a Republican for so long. Um, and so this just cemented it. Um I, I was not surprised. It was wasn't even upset. You know, this is how Representative Manor has been acting and governing herself for so long, like Republican. And I'm just happy that she finally made it official. We didn't have to stop name calling her. She's made it official. Mm. Um, but look, I'm not going to spoke. I'm not going to talk about my rep- opponent um, too much in this campaign. Mm. I think that's important. Um, but you know, you go around to the district for the six. You ask them. If they know that these men switch parties, they're not going to know that. But they w- will know that they don't have a job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they don't have enough to pay as well. They don't have, they don't have health care. Or that they're on the verge of eviction because they can't afford the rent. They mm-hmm. can't afford the mortgage. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to be paying attention to my opponent too much. Um, you know, what she did is what she did. That was her choice. I'm happy she made that choice. I'm happy she found her home. I think it's the wrong choice, but, you know, I'm happy she found her home. And cemented what we've always known for a long time that she's a Republican. I'm ready to get to work for people in this district. But what seemed to what seemed to egg her on was the inability of the Republican Party, with her help, to push school vouchers or I would say taxpayer funding for private education uh, along. And you're a public educator, mm-hmm. so I, I have to imagine that that's something you're pretty passionate about yourself. Oh yes, you know I'm, I'm, I was there when the bill failed, and I cheer you know we all cheered it was such a big moment because and i'm hopeful and knocking on wood that school vouchers will not come up again this next session that it it is dead forever here in the state of georgia um i'm a school educator i see the value of public education my mom was a public school educator um my aunts and my grandmother was a public school educator we i come from a long line of educators so my whole life i've been told i was to be an educator and here i am an educator and i'm an advocate for them. You know, I see the value of them. You know, public education moves mountains. It really does. It provides opportunities for so many folks that um, might not otherwise have opportunities for proper education. But look, yes, I would agree we do need to um, address the shortcomings of our education system, that it is not, um, does not have the funding right now to deal with the changing minds and the changing of our students. Mm. You know, we have to fully fund public education. Then we have the money. We also have money for a universal pre-K program here in the state. We can provide every single child with preschool. Mm. Every single four with preschool and still have money left over in the surplus in the bank. Mm-hmm. I'm, and we know that, that preschool does a huge, huge difference on the educational outcomes of our students. Yep. Makes them college, puts them in better positions to get better jobs, makes them more world-based and worldly fluent, so much more. Um, so we need not acknowledge the shortcomings in the education system, but it doesn't mean taking money away and putting it into the pockets of private schools and charter schools that ultimately may not always have the best interests of our students in mind. We need to continue to put the money into the education system, but in actual solutions that bring results. You know, we we can't keep throwing money at the system saying it's going to get better, it's going to get better. You know, when we say fully fund public education, that means paying our teachers well. Mm-hmm. That means 
so our schools are up to date and have proper pressure. There's some schools that don't even have clean water in the state. Mm. Every school should have clean water in the state. Every school should have textbooks that were made in this century. Yes, in this right. Every every single school should have desks that were built in this century mm-hmm. in their schools. And so public education is not just throwing money at the education system. It really is from the bottom up fixing every broken piece of the education system right now. Mm-hmm. So uh, you are uh, an inner city educator. Please tell me you watch Abbott Elementary. That's like one of my favorite sitcoms I right do. now. <laughs> of course I watch Abbott Elementary. Do you guys, do you guys get, get together at the teacher's lounge the next morning and discuss the episode and, and where you relate? Well we, well, we haven't yet. I just started teaching um, this year. Actually, it's my oh, first year teaching. I got you. I just started teaching. We haven't yet, but when the new season comes out, I'll have to come back on and let you know how we our reactions. Yeah, no, I'd love to talk to you about that, but I'd really love to talk to you about moving into your new uh, your, your new office there at the General Assembly. Bryce Berry, uh, uh, you can find him at Bryce4GA.com. We'll include that link in the show notes at ronshowetl.com. Best of luck to you. Thanks for joining me today on The Ron Show. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Ron. I really appreciate you. Take The Ron Show wherever you go. Download the America One Radio app to your smartphone and listen on the go. Or in traffic wishing you were on the go. The Ron Show on America One Radio. How about that, y'all? We're getting a little bit of rain today. It's been like weeks. It's been a long time since we've had rain. Do we know how to drive in it? Let's do be careful uh, while we're out and about today. By the way, I want to uh, pass along my condolences on the passing of uh, family friend Norman Staley. Uh, back in Cedartown, I'm going to be making my way out to uh, pay my respects uh, to his wife, Miss Carolyn, and uh, the Staley family. Uh, so uh, keep being your thoughts as I'll be out uh, amongst uh, those slightly wet roads uh, later today, and hopefully you guys will uh, uh, all be driving safely as well. So yesterday, Joe Manchin dropped the bombshell that he is not going to be running for re-election, dot, 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 for his U.S. Senate seat, period. Or is it question mark? Or is it exclamation point? Lots of folks on the left are hand-wringing now about whether or not he is going to try and seek a third-party bid. And he didn't really shut the door on that in his announcement. And there has been, for quite a while, a lot of discussion about there being some sort of a middle ground, uh, no labels, if you will, that's a movement, uh, presidential candidate. But I don't know. It's yet to be seen. He, however, was in... Uh, Athens, Georgia today, speaking at the Isaacson, the Senator Isaacson Symposium. And uh, I want to let you eavesdrop a little bit, and and I apologize, this is auditorium uh, audio and why they didn't have better mics on the... Come on, UGA, you got to do better. You guys have a journalism department. There should be a broadcast division that handles this a lot better than it did. So I apologize in advance. But uh, listen to the question posed uh, that talks... Uh, it speaks to uh, Joe Manchin's ability to work on either side of the aisle and see what you can glean from that. Senator Manchin, um, you have a reputation of being an independent, and in the context of political civility or incivility, does that actually make you a, a bigger target for political incivility, even within your own party? Let, let me just say to all the young people, all of our students here and everything, uh, I didn't get involved in politics because of party affiliation. I got involved in a political process because I wanted to change things and do things. In our system of, of government and democracy, we have a duopoly. So you only have two, two paths, really, a Democrat and Democrat, Republican path. My family, as like most, probably most in this generation, if you go back one or two, was Southern Democrat. West Virginia is the northernmost southern state in the nation. We're around the Mason-Dixon line. 
So that's just who we were. Our state was a Republican state probably until 1930. West Virginia was all Republican. FDR comes along. My grandparents are grateful. They give them a chance to survive and take care of their kids. And that's that loyalty factor. But you still never change who you are. If a D or an R changes the person, then you got the wrong person in the job for the wrong reason. If a D or an R is a vehicle you have to use to, to really truly get public service, that's the vehicle you should use. That's what you have. Right now, it's just not working that well. So it puts me in a predicament. I never did look at Roy come to some, said something and Roy knows how toxic the place can be. Let's say that my dear friend Roy is up and wait, he's, he's in cycle. He's up for election. The way both of the parties are thinking from the leadership, Joe, you can't sign on to a bill with Roy because it might make him look good and help him in his election. I said, it's a darn good bill. I like the bill Roy has, and I'm for it. I'm going to sign on to it. Oh, no, that's so then the Democrats get mad at me. Republicans will get mad at me. You're right. And, they, and then they, they expect now I'm supposed to write a check out of my pack that if Donald Duck is running in Missouri against Roy Blunt on the Democratic ticket, we got to be for Donald Duck because he's a Democrat. I says, I'm not going to do that. I'm sorry. I just didn't come for that reason and purpose. That's not why I got involved. I got involved because a guy told my father, he said, Johnny, do me a favor because all the little favors I've done for your little town farming thing. And I said this in, this in my, my statement I made the other day. I said, hey, Dad, I'm going to get That's awful. That person's, that's his job. It wasn't a favor. He, that's what he's supposed to do. So I said, I'm going to get involved in politics. And my dad said, oh, Joe, please don't. It's a horrible profession. <laughs> <laughs> I think about it, he's probably right. Uh, he said, please don't do it. He says, I'm telling you, this is horrible. It's just this. And he went on. I said, Dad, let me ask you. You always said, uh, public service is the noblest of all profession. Good people, you have to attract good people to get involved and want good things to happen. I said, I think you all did pretty good raising me. So give me a shot. And he says, on that one condition, one condition, he says, as long as you give me a vow that you will serve friend and foe and not yourself. That was it. And the reason he did that, I, first time I got in politics, there was a guy who was supposed to be for me. And he said, oh, Joe, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. And I don't need to tell all my friends in the political arena. Sometimes people change their mind or they, or they play both sides of the fence where they're not sure if you're going to win or not. And I was so mad at this person who misled me. And I'm thinking, oh, boy. And I won. And I won. And my dad, as soon as I won, dad says, I want to talk to you. He says, you're, you're, you're mad at Charlie, aren't you? I said, Dad, Charlie double crosses. He lied to me. He says, so what do you think you're going to do? You want to try to figure a way to get back in and make sure he knows you, you won and he lost? I said, I, he said I, know what you, I, know, I know human nature. I know where you are right now. But I want you to do one thing first. Go to the courthouse. Find out what Charlie's taxes are. You write a check and pay Charlie's taxes. Then tell him you're not going to support him. And boy, Dad, he said, okay, now, son. Did you do that? No. <laughs> hey, maybe you ought to go around the country and talk to people about this. <laughs> so that my vow, my vow was is that friend or foe, I could care less. The minute that election, whether I won or lost, it was over. Everybody. I go back to the Johnny Isaacson. That's my friend. Now, I will give you the YouTube link to this in today's show notes at ronshowatl.com. However, I'm going to go ahead and save you about an hour and 55 minutes and tell you that there really was no news made at this symposium today. Joe Manchin is going to travel the country and, you know, have his little talking tour. 
it, it, it appears that he's kind of at least testing the waters, maybe checking the temperature of the American electorate to decide if it's worth uh, a go to run a third-party candidacy. He did say, I didn't get involved in politics because of political affiliation. I got involved because I wanted to change things. If a D or an R changes a person, then you have the wrong person in the job. And you heard him talk about being uh, raising a family of Southern Democrat and, or conservative Democrat. And listen, that is, uh, we've, we've spoken about this before. We, uh, we used to call him the Reagan Democrat. And I personally think, especially during the Clinton presidency, uh, that there was a lot of wooing of the Reagan Democrat. And I think a lot of that continued within the Democratic Party for quite a long time. And like talking to a brick wall, you weren't going to move that brick wall. The Reagan Democrat is, for all intents and purposes, a Republican. The Reagan Democrat, the old Southern Democrat, had values that were not progressive, nor even liberal in a lot of cases. We know that LBJ famously said when he signed the Civil Rights Act that they were going to be losing voters for a generation. He was off by two, three, four generations, obviously, but that that tells you the, the sort of divide that there is and has been in the, in the Democratic Party. And it's just interesting to see uh, there are, I, I believe, holdovers uh, within the Democratic Party, and there's so few now because it's been more than 60 years since the, or nearly 60 years since the Civil Rights Act passed, that folks like Joe Manchin, who were, how do I say it, advantageous enough to stay within a party affiliation that still worked for them early on in their political career and then stayed within that party, I, I don't know why, except that I can point to his voting record. Again, 88% uh, voting in alignment with the Joe Biden presidency, which you say, okay, that's not bad. It, it's actually the worst amongst all Democratic senators. But still, it's 88%, which is better than the best Republican Biden score, which I believe was Susan Collins at 67%. I just I say all that to say that uh, Joe Manchin is a unique bird. He, he is. In today's uh, political lexicon, in this hyper-partisan world, he is a unique bird. I'm not sure what that means for his uh, potential presidential aspirations, but I do know that there seems to be an appetite that I firmly believe the Democratic Party ignores, that I think the Biden-Harris uh, 2024 campaign wants to pretend doesn't exist. It, they're they're, they're kind of like uh, the, the meme of the, uh, the, the, the puppet that's kind of looking off to the side, but pretending he doesn't see what he's supposed to see in the periphery. That there is this uh, movement looking for something else. I was talking to a friend of mine about this last night, uh, about the potential for one party or the other. And Vivek Ramaswamy actually triggered this thought process uh, in the debate a couple nights ago when he insisted that uh, he wants to know who Democrats are really running. He, he basically said that the Democrats are planning to run somebody other than Joe Biden. He just knows it. He just knows it. Now, I don't know that, and I don't see any signs of that. I have mentioned in the past that, you know, there's the potential for maybe a shadow campaign of some sort. Gavin Newsom has, you know, done some high-profile events, you know, wants to do the debate with Ron DeSantis for whatever reason. Why Ron DeSantis agreed to that, I 
don't know, but it is curious that that is happening. So maybe that is a shadow campaign kind of effort, but it's going to rub some people the wrong way. We already see degradation uh, within the African-American base when it comes to the Democratic Party. And I think you do a lot of damage by saying, "Uh, we're going to leapfrog Kamala Harris, who, by the way, doesn't exactly pull well amongst African-Americans herself. But still, the appearance of leapfrogging the first African-American female vice president or uh, any executive uh, branch, uh, vice president or otherwise, to propel a Gavin Newsom, a white heterosexual male, onto the ticket has a bit of a bad look. So there's that. Um, That being said, the conversation I was having with a friend of mine about this the other day was, I believe if it's going to happen, if the Republican Party or the Democratic Party is going to pivot to another candidate to top their ticket in 2024. The first party to do so, minus a third-party candidate, the first party to decide, all right, we're going to punt on our original uh, option, our lead option, and go with, insert name, that's the party that wins the presidency. And here's the other thing that may trouble you, and certainly it doesn't make me feel well either, I thought about it after the debates on Wednesday night, and it pains me to say this. It really does. But I believe this country could endure. Not saying I would welcome it. I am saying, worst case scenario, this country could endure a four year Nikki Haley presidency, a four year Chris Christie presidency. And I think as soon as the Republican Party figures that out, I mean, Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley would, I, I, I firmly believe this, she would clobber Joe Biden if she were the nominee. Firmly believe that. She wouldn't do anything for the things that are important to voters that have been shown to be important to voters uh, lately. She would have very little uh, impact, obviously, uh, to the positive on reproductive rights. Although we've seen that softening tone, she's not going to sign anything into executive action to minimize the the impact of the Dobbs decision reversing Roe v. Wade. Neither would Chris Christie, obviously. And, I mean, Chris Christie, I, don't, I just don't think he stands a snowball's chance in hell, although I, I firmly welcome him being in the primary process because I think he, long before Ron DeSantis grew the stones to do so, was the first real candidate on the right to take Donald Trump to task. Now, little Ronnie has grown a pair and decided he's going to do that too. Too late, I believe. I talked about that yesterday or the day before. But um, yeah, I, I, I legitimately think Nikki Haley, if the Republican Party ever figures out a way to rest themselves of the Donald Trump cancer, they're able to remove that tuma that if she were the nominee, she, she'd clobber Joe Biden. That's why I think like the, the first if, if it's going to happen, the first party to do it or the party to do it first or at all is the party that wins the 2024 presidency, irrespective of whatever else is down the ticket. That being said, the, 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 first, the first side of the aisle to excite their base because neither side is excited about their prospective presidential options. And that's just a cold-hearted fact. I hate to be so callous, but that's the fact. The first party to say, all right, we're going to drop back and punt, and here's who we're going to go with instead, uh, and, and makes the right choice. Obviously, it's got to be the right choice. But the, the, the party that does that first, 
may trigger the other party to do the same, but at the very least, I think the first party to do it or the party to do it is the party that benefits the most in 2024. There, I said it. If it's Nikki Haley versus Joe Biden, Democrats are in a lot of trouble because she's going to woo independence. And she may even, she may even cause some hesitancy amongst pro-choice women who may listen to her rhetoric, which would just be amplified over the next 12 months, about her wanting to respect those who are pro-choice while disagreeing with them and wants folks who are pro-choice to respect that she's pro-life but disagrees with that and yada, 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 and let the states decide and blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, Democrats will probably try in a lot of cases to put abortion on the state ballot and would probably win in a lot of measures, even with Nikki Haley succeeding atop the GOP ticket. Is I, does Isaac, or I'm sorry, does Joe Manchin fit into this? I don't really know. I don't, I don't know who he thinks is out there to vote for him, but it might be just enough to derail a Joe Biden reelection. And that's going to cause some sleepless nights. More on show after this on the American One Radio app, AmericanRadio.com, wherever you podcast. Final segment of the Ron Show for today and for the week. First of all, I hope you have a fantastic weekend. What are we looking at weather-wise after this rain moves? Actually, there's supposed to be some more rain over the weekend. Yeah. Good chance of it tomorrow. Good chance of it on Sunday. This is like a stay inside, sweatpants, catch up on all the movies that you may have missed, although there can't be many left after the writers and uh, actors strike, which, by the way, is over with, thank goodness. And hopefully that'll bode well for the Atlanta economy. And I say that as a real estate agent who is uh, ready to close on some transactions. Can we... Get some houses listed in Seoul. Ooh, it's time to... Daddy needs some money. Cat Daddy's got fat cats to feed. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, I thought I'd uh, share with you a little bit of news on the Cop City front. Riley Bunch at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution reporting this earlier. Opponents of Atlanta's planned public safety training center expect hundreds of supporters to make their way to the South River Forest for a mass mobilization against the project. Events that organizers insist will remain peaceful, but they say will also be an effort to shut down ongoing construction at the site on Monday. And by the way, there's a lot that's been done. Not just clearing, but leveling of land. Uh, we're seeing some pond runoff. And of course, that's always a concern for the uh, folks who are worried about uh, South River pollution. Uh, there are some, some paved curbings. It's, uh, if, 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 you're, if you were one that wanted to protect the forest, uh, you have to be dismayed to see that the work's going on, even while there's this effort uh, to 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 put a referendum on a ballot uh, to, to stop it all from even happening in the first place. I don't know. That's kind of fascinating. Uh, Riley continues, the Block Cop City event will bring together local organizers, national activists who say they've traveled across the country rallying supporters to meet in Atlanta starting today and running through November 13th. That would be Monday. So we may have a lot to report on uh, come Monday. Uh, Riley continues, both protesters and law enforcement are preparing for the possibility that the intended peaceful demonstration, and by the way, did I mention the muddy, mucky, rainy forecast for the weekend? Bad timing, y'all. Sorry about that. Uh, Escalates to violence at the site of the facility where construction is, according to the city, already about, and this has to be dismaying for the Stop Cup City folks. The city says construction is about 40% complete. Riley continues, construction of the $90 million training center has already been marred by the fatal police shooting of an environmental activist 
a wounded state police trooper in the same incident, a fiery attack on police and equipment at the site that led to dozens of domestic terrorism charges and facility opponents chaining themselves to an excavator. Excavator. Article continues, it's unclear what exactly organizers have planned for the protest at the construction site on Monday, but they describe it as a, quote, mass action to shut down all ongoing construction operations at the Cop City site using strategic, nonviolent means. She uh, mentions that Sam Beard, a spokesperson for the event, said that, like with any political or social justice movement, quote, the stakes are incredibly high. He said, by coming down to Atlanta, there's a certain element of having to accept those inherent risks. We just believe in this moment that the risk of inaction far outweighs the risk of action. Riley Bunch continues, Atlanta officials say the new facility is critical in providing state-of-the-art training to the city's police and fire divisions. Opponents have a list of concerns from the militarization of police to destruction of the urban forest in which it is being built. Can I just add also, by the way, um, we're going to give two departments a facility, and, and the city in general, a facility when there is such a clear need only because the same city government and departments allowed their current facilities to fall into disrepair and inability to use. I should also point out Fulton County wants to build a similar facility at about at least a third of the cost, I would think. And in an effort to save money, can we not work with Fulton County to have a facility? I don't know. Just spitballing here in Fulton County and Atlanta that saves both jurisdictions and the taxpayers of Atlanta slash Fulton County a great deal of money. Hmm. Riley's article continues. Officials with the Atlanta Police Department say they are aware of the events taking place, duh, but offered little insight. Neither neither side's offering insight on how they're going to handle this. Uh, insight on how they plan to handle security at the site. Other law enforcement from local and state agencies may likely be involved too. Listen to this. Uh, uh, Chief Darren Sheerbaum. If anyone wants to protest peacefully, they have the full protection of the Atlanta Police Department as they've always had. Individuals that may decide to use violence and intimidation at property or property damage to try to make a point or stop the construction of the training center, we have a plan for that too. Well, that is the plan to stop the construction. They're, they're trying to stop the construction. Okay. As we aggressively protect the right to assemble and protest, we'll aggressively stop criminal activity, he said. Uh, this from the Stop Cop City spokesperson, Sam Beard again. The movement to defend the Atlanta forest and Stop Cop City finds itself at an impasse where it has to systematically scale up its resistance to the project or else Cop City will be built. And remember, they've been chanting along streets and sidewalks and protests and at the site, Stop Cop City will never be built. No, oh, in fact, we will be back again and again for this week of action, for a month of action, for a year of action, according to Kamal Franklin with the Community Movement Builders, because as far as we're concerned, Cop City will never be built. Block Cop City will host a variety of events through Monday, according to Riley Bunch, from block parties and concerts, this weather's just not good for this, to protest and medic training 
Activities will also focus on uplifting voices of Black Atlantans who are opposed to the training facility, organizers say. According to the event's website, activists have traveled across the country on a speaking tour to spread information about the controversial facility and encourage non-Atlantans to get involved. I hope that we inspire folks, not just here, but all over globally, that there's a global resistance happening, and this is just one piece of that pie. That is organizer Mary Hooks. She continues, we want to inspire more people to continue to get involved, stand up for what is right, and make sure that people get the power we need to transform our communities and our lives. Well, we'll be covering all of that and more when we return on Monday, 5 to 6 p.m. on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, wherever you podcast. Show notes and more at ronshowatl.com. Y'all have a great weekend. Stay safe, stay dry, and we'll see you then.